That's a dishmaya. Okay, let's begin. First of all, a uh, thank you for inviting me. Such a privilege. I've never been to Australia before, but uh, I guess this is my uh, first trip there. Hopefully, I'm told you're on a lockdown, so hopefully the world will uh, open up slowly, and uh, maybe one day I will have the schos to actually come to Australia in person. I asked if you could hear me because by you, it's uh, middle of the night, nine o'clock or something. I don't know if that means you're seven hours ahead of us, if you're 15 hours behind us, but um, by me it's middle of the afternoon, so it's a little bit noisy, which maybe we'll get to in a moment. So I was asked to say a few words, a few words of chizik. Apparently Australia is on an intense lockdown. Now, lockdown by definition is intense. I know there's, you know, different people. Some people follow the rules, some people don't. Some people, it's the fine that gets them. Some people, I don't know, different countries. You never know what you could believe anymore. You know, some people think here in Eretz Yisrael, the world is closed. And then you go, we live here, and you go walk in the street, and you realize, I don't know, just you have to have a mask on your chin, and the world is perfectly wide open. So, you know, I'm assuming when you say it's an intense lockdown, it sounds intense, it sounds like everyone's home. And let's hopefully that together today, we'll start with a little bit of a tefillah, a bit of a prayer, that together we'll be able to be mechazik each other. Again, just the mere fact and truth of getting together to listen to something inspirational, to listen to some word of chizik, that itself is something that we should take inspiration from. Because, again, I don't know if you guys are in the middle of school, if you're in the middle of summer break, I don't know if it's the winter, it's the summer, I don't know, different parts of the world confuse me. But definitely at 9 o'clock at night, you don't have to be sitting here listening to a shir. Listen, hopefully we'll make it enjoyable. We'll say a few stories. But I'm sure there's other things you could be doing. So the mere fact that we're here together should be something that we should all not take for small. So let's begin. So the, ty- the title I was told is Growth Through Difficult Times. And of course, I agree to the title. And now that you're all here, I'm going to disagree a little bit. Growth Through Difficult Times. I believe it was Tishabov night, the night of Tishabov after we said Eicha, I was in Yeshiva and we spoke together and we realized that the word difficult times is a little bit, we'll call it a misnomer, a little bit, that's not the right word. Difficult? Everything is difficult. Difficult is a perspective. It's not difficult times. Let's not call these times unprecedented times. Let's not call the world that we live in complicated and impossible. Let's change it a, a, a slight difference. And hopefully by the end of today, within the next, you know, now 30, 35 minutes, we'll all agree. Let's call this growth through normal times. No, I am not hoping that you all stay locked in forever. And I'm not hoping that our country's borders stay closed forever. Not at all. But I believe at some level, and to get to that together today, hopefully we'll come to understand this, that at some level this is normal. And let's, let's understand this. So I'd like to begin, I'd like to begin with a story. Story from a European country. This goes back to Nazi, Nazi Holocaust, World War II. And there was a Jew who now we all know who he is. Back then he was just Chaim. And Chaim was running away, as was everyone. And different people try to take different belongings with them. And this Chaim, uh, another Jew, runs into him one day and says, You're young. You might make it out. I don't have a chance. I don't have a chance. So here's a piece of paper. On this piece of paper are the numbers to my Swiss bank account. And he was a very wealthy Jew. 
He says, if I make it out, you'll give me back the paper. If I don't make it out, hold on to it, and one day give it to hopefully one of my children. And this Chayim took the paper, and shortly thereafter he was deported, as well was his entire town. And he always guarded this paper. He guarded this paper more than perhaps his own jewelry, than his own money, because this paper was worth millions of dollars. And he guarded the paper, and he lived. He lived. His entire family did not. But he lived through the war. After the war, he moved to Belgium. He became the head of the Bezdin. His name is Harav Chaim Kreisworth, a Jew that we all know, a wonderful Gadol, that became the head of the Bezdin, a wonderful Rav. And he would always, wherever he go, try to find out some whereabouts of this family that he has this paper of. And nothing. And the paper was stored in his house in Belgium. And he never thought anything of it. Many, many years later, about 20 years later, he's sitting in the Bezdin. And someone comes in collecting money. A beggar. He's going around. They have a penny. I don't know what the currency was. A euro, a dollar. I don't know what you guys have over there in Australia. He was collecting something. And people give him something. And Ruchaim Kreisworth, the head of the Bezdin, is sitting there. And he starts making some small conversation with the beggar. Where are you from? What's your name? And the beggar starts telling him his name. And starts telling him where he's from. Back in Germany. And slowly through the conversation, Ruchaim Kreisworth starts to realize that this is the descendant of that Jew that he's holding the paper. And he slowly asks him more questions and more questions. And this beggar is wondering, why am I getting interrogated? Just give me a dollar and let me move on. And a few minutes later, Rochaim Kreisworth pulls out from his draw, from the back of the draw, paper that he's had there for 20 years. And he goes to this Jew, this beggar, and he says, you might think you're going around begging. In truth, you're a millionaire. The beggar starts screaming at him, don't make fun of me, what are you saying? He says, no, you told me this is your name. You're from so-and-so town. 20 years ago, when I was running away, as we all were from the Nazis, I was entrusted with this piece of paper. This piece of paper with a few numbers of a Swiss bank account. Take this piece of paper, go to the bank, go to the agencies, and claim the millions of dollars that are waiting for you. And this beggar realized he was telling the truth. He thanked him profusely, of course. And he parted ways, no longer a beggar, not with a few dollars, but a millionaire. The reason why this story is so important is because there are times, special times in everyone's life. Sometimes people have to wait 20 years for that time, where they're walking around and they feel like a beggar. They feel like, I have nothing. Everything is terrible. The world is horrible. Cursed people. As I think that was the other part of the topic that I was told, that how should we make make understanding of the words in this week's Pasik, Parsha, It seems like a klala. It seems like we're living through this terrible curse. We're locked up in our houses. It seems like you can only go out for medical supplies and maybe food. It seems horrible and terrible. Or maybe perhaps, perhaps, hidden beneath everything, we really are finding a secret. Maybe we're being handed the numbers to a Swiss bank account. Maybe we're being told something that some people wait their entire lives for. And if we take those secret numbers, if we take that bank account combination, we could walk away a billionaire. And what am I talking about? You're all wondering, like, get real. That's ridiculous. This is horrible. So the answer is, 
the fact that we're all sitting and wondering, this is terrible. Why did God do this? What does Hashem want from us? Taking good people from Jews and making us live this horrible life? Those are thoughts that I don't know how old everyone here is. I was told the age bracket is somewhere from 13 to 20. You never know. But these are thoughts that sometimes people wait till they're 20, till they're 30 to ever think. To actual thoughts about life, about the world, about what's going on, about my personal life. What am I supposed to be doing? These are threshold moments that people could literally spend their entire life running, chasing, working, and it could be good people. I'm not talking about bad people. I'm talking about good people, productive people, people that dive in, people that learn, people that do chesed, people that are tzniyas. They could spend their entire life and never think about the things that we're here to think about tonight. And never have that time that we sit down with ourselves and say, what's going on here? And this, in truth, is the greatest treasure that we are gaining. And hopefully, that itself is really enough for me to be here. If we just realize the treasure of the amount that we're having these thoughts. And just another muscle that Rabbi Chasmin used to say, that there were two beggars that were both walking around begging, and they were going through the garbage looking for something to eat. And little did one of them know that buried under their house was a treasure chest. He never knew it. He thought he was a beggar, but he really was a millionaire. If he would have just found that treasure, he would never have been looking through the garbage we're hopefully people that tonight or today or throughout this period will realize that we're really millionaires. And this million dollars, this secret code is these productive thoughts. And I'm going to go back a few years. I'm going to go back about 10 years. 10 years ago, I was in Beis Medrash and one of the big themes, one of my Rabbeim, Rabbi Elephant, they heard many schmoozim from, and this really is based on Revolba's work, which I'm sure many of you have learned is to learn about yourself. Das atzbucha. To know who you are. And this is something, and I remember clearly how I used to say to everyone, we're afraid of being alone. We're all so afraid of our own shadows. Who would go out and for a walk by themselves? Who would go drive by themselves? Who would go to eat by themselves? Everyone's always so busy. Let me quickly listen to something. Let me quickly take on my phone. Let me quickly watch something. Let me quickly do something. Because we're so afraid of ourselves. Why are we so afraid of ourselves? You know why we're so afraid of ourselves? We're afraid of these moments like today. We're afraid you're all sitting there locked up. You're sitting there and when you're locked up and eventually you run out of things to do, that's when you start thinking, wait, why is Hashem doing this? What's going on? Why are we here? What does God want from us? And these are thoughts that are such precious thoughts. They could destroy some people. And this is why people run away from them. They don't want to think about their lives. they rather just continue on the treadmill of life. And they rather just keep on going and hoping, I'll never have to stop. But God pressed the pause button. He froze the world. And months ago, we were hoping it would be like, you know, momentary freeze, like freeze dance. And then we'd continue. And unfortunately, we went from a Purim to a Pesach to a Shavuos to a summer. And at every interval, we kept on telling yourself, ah, by, by Pesach will be fine. By Shavuos will be fine. By the summer will be fine. By Tisha will be fine. By Roshan will be fine. By Yom Kippur will be fine. By Sukkot will be fine. And here we're sitting here almost a week before, about a week and a half before El. It's not going to be fine. It's not going to be Yom Narayim, Roshan, Yom Kippur. It's not going to be packed shuls like we're used to. Sukkot is not going to be the regular like we're used to. 
So maybe that's why we're starting to realize maybe this is normal life. Maybe a life in which we're a bit more serious. And no, I'm not referring to that we should walk around or walk around your room if that's the only place you can walk. I'm not referring to that we should walk around depressed and be saying, oh, this is terrible. The exact opposite. We'll be a little more serious. Serious doesn't mean depression. It's like people think, ah, you're serious, you're strange. No, serious just means you know what life is about. You're supposed to be happy. Maybe something we'll talk about at the end of the today. We're supposed to enjoy things. But with the seriousness, with the realization that there's a purpose that we're here. And that's the reason why, in my opinion, my humble, small, teeny, minuscule, almost insignificant, the little bit that I see here tonight is that when we realize these productive thoughts that we're having, this itself is a tremendous gain that people wait their whole lives for. You read stories about big people, and they always point to a certain time in life. And really, any big person, any speech you probably ever heard of someone who became big, they always tell over, when I was a teenager, it was this Purim, it was uh, this summer, it was this uh, group of friends, it was this yeshiva, it was this event, and everyone has something. And sometimes, we small people listen to these stories and we say, when's it going to happen to us? You know, if Hashem would just take us and give us a life-altering moment, we'd also become big. We'd also start a chesed organization. We'd also change the way we dress. We'd also stop saying Lashon Hara. But Hashem doesn't do it to us. Wait, maybe we're there. Maybe we're all there together. And maybe it's just such a wonderful moment that it's not something that we have to discover on our own. It's not something, you know, we all, we hear the good stories. We don't hear the horror stories that people go through these moments and get crushed and just leave. We're all here and we could all do it together. So maybe we all just have to realize we're all locked up. We're all in a moment that we're calling Hashem gave us a bracha or a klala. Why is he giving us a klala? No, it's not a klala. It's a bracha. It's difficult. Let's not belittle that. And I should have probably prefaced with that. And I'll probably say it again. And hopefully we'll remember to conclude with that. Of course it's difficult. People lost their jobs. People lost their lives. People still who did, who made it out are still not healthy. People still don't have their jobs. People lost so much money, so much aggravation, so much mental health issues. We're not going to belittle anything. But I'm assuming anyone who's here tonight, I'm assuming is all people who, if they got knocked down, they're at at least some point that they're ready to hear something productive. And if not, hopefully this won't destroy them. But hopefully we're all sitting here at a point that we're ready to go up. We're ready to go up. And therefore, as much as the destruction that was had and still is happening and is havoc and death and, you know, we can't belittle that. Sometimes we get too used to it. It's like, ah, oh, someone died. What do you mean? It's a death. So Someone's sick. It's a terrible thing. True. Let's not belittle that. But let's at the same time realize that we're living in a time that we could all collectively realize that we just received the secret numbers to Swiss bank account. Let's realize what we are. Let's realize that we actually have a purpose in our life. And these productive thoughts that we're having will hopefully propel us to be better people. And hopefully that's where we'll come out with tonight. And that's what let's try to discuss a little bit. And in truth, the reason why this is so important is really the Ramban writes this, and Ramatisio Salman, in his book on Amuna and the Haktama there, extensively proves this point. There comes a time in everyone's life that there's a leap of faith that they have to take. It's impossible for someone to try to 100% understand everything. The greatest philosophers, the greatest Tamidi Chachamim, the greatest everything in the world. But there comes a point, says the Ramban, that there's a leap of faith. 
there's that last little bit we're not going to understand, and therefore we just have to jump, and we have to believe, whether it's we believe in the Tamid Chachamim, those who are smarter than us, they taught it to us, whether we believe it because we see it with our own eyes, but there's always some leap of faith that we have to take. So if anyways, we're going to have to take that leap of faith, we're now privileged to be in a moment to say, okay, I'm ready, I'm here, we're here for a purpose, great, I am jumping on board. I'm not going to drown, I'm not going to be one of those people that looks looks back at to Pesach of 2020, Tafshin Pei, looks back at the summer, or again, I don't know, you're in summer, you're in winter, wherever you are, and looks back and says, oh, it destroyed me? No, the exact opposite. We're going to look back. And we're going to be the people that could point to this time. And hopefully the time should end. Hopefully it shouldn't be, it's already been, I don't know, five months. Hopefully it should end very, very soon. Maybe this realization is all we need. And then we'll be the ones to be able to get out of it. And another story. There was someone who asked a friend, you're in the winter. Okay, good. That's what I thought. In the winter. Feels like the winter in here. Air conditioning is uncold. But it's a million degrees outside. So... Someone, there was a friend who asked someone to bring a bag of garbage upstate. So upstate is like, um, I don't know what to call them upstate in Australia, but it's like traveling for two hours in a car, and therefore you ask people to travel packages for you. So you ask someone, can you stop by my house, pick up a bag, it's going to be waiting outside, and bring it upstate for me. Two-hour trip, you'll do me a big favor. And the, the, the friend said, sure, it'll be my pleasure. He stops by his house, he picks up the bag, and he brings it upstate. Uh, we'll call the person bringing up the bag, Shimon, and Ruvain was the one upstate waiting for his package. Ruvain is sitting there waiting, and he sees his friend drive up. He says, oh, great, he has my package. And he sees Shimon open up the trunk of his car, take out this big bag, and Shimon is like, like, could barely breathe, it looks like. It looks like he's holding some smelly diaper. And Ruvain says to Shimon, what's wrong? He says, what do you mean, what's wrong? I don't know what you sent me here, but this package stinks. He says, What? Okay, and then he sees Shimon like logging out the bag out of the car and like schlepping it and it's so heavy and so difficult and he's bringing it to Ruvain. And before Ruvain even opens the bag, Ruvain says to Shimon, I don't know what you took there. That's not my package. He says, what do you mean? You told me there's going to be a bag sitting outside your house. And then he realized the bag that he took was a bag of garbage. He was sitting with a bag of garbage in his trunk in his closed car for the last two hours. Of course it sunk. And he's sitting there lugging it and schlepping it along because it's very heavy. What did he send? He sent some precious silver items. They were also going to be packed in a nice big bag, but they weren't going to be so heavy. He said, I see from the fact that you're lugging it along. And I see from the fact that you barely could breathe. It's obvious that's not my package. So when we realize the package that we were given... Our attitude will define whether we realize what we're carrying is a precious package or whether it's a terrible bag of garbage. If we walk around depressed, this is so terrible, how am I going to get through another day? And again, it is difficult. And again, no one's belittling that. But we have to realize we're here. This is what we have. This was the package that was dealt to us. And realize it's not a package of garbage. It's a package of silver, of diamonds, of something that we could grow, that we could grow through. So now, let's go to the next step. So maybe we all are starting to understand that there's maybe a reason why we're here. And another reason why this is such an important point is because the world lockdown will end. Corona, God willing, will be a thing of the past. Five years from now, or I don't know how old you are, but you're a chasana, hopefully, you'll think back and you'll say, ah, Corona, yeah, it was this little time period, and Baruch Hashem, the world is back to normal, like we know it. But there will always be a difficulty in everyone's life. 
everyone has difficulties. Sometimes they're more difficult and sometimes they're less. Sometimes they're easier to deal with and sometimes not so much. But if we learn how to deal with difficulties, then we'll be people that can deal with difficulties. Like the person that works out. person that works out, he becomes very strong. When he has to pick up a heavy package, one day he's asked by a friend, you know, I'm really, I moved up. I need you to carry up this big heavy box for me. No big deal. He picks it up. He carries it up five flights of stairs. The other guy is like, how did he do that? He's like, what do you mean? I've been working out my whole life. I'm very strong. I can carry it up. So if we utilize the time and we quote unquote work out and we make ourselves people that could handle difficult situations, then we'll be people that could handle difficult situations. So then later in life, and of course, there's always situations. It could be shadokhim, it could be children, it could be money, parnas issues, it could be business, it could be health, it could be parents, it could be siblings, and I don't have to list the millions of things that could be difficult in life. It could be very, very difficult. But if we learn how to deal with difficulty, we won't be people that get broken. And I'm sure, I definitely know people, and I'm sure you also know people, that difficulties break them. The difficulties they can't handle. And they become people that are just not functionable. Or we can become people, the opposite. That when the difficulty strikes, we realize, ah, lightning just struck. We could handle it. But now the, really the question is, which many people at this point start wondering, could I really handle it? Really? Me? Little me? Little, little me? That I'm locked up in my room with so much potential to do the wrong thing? You think I could handle it? I could come out of here bigger? No, no, no. You could come out bigger. Okay, you're a better person. Yeah, you could do it. You have your own family. You have your own this. You could grow. Me? I can't grow through this. Are you kidding me? There's just so much I could do wrong. It's just so much easier. We all know, whether it's the technology, whether it's Lashon Hara, whether it's the Sneas, whether it's the millions of Averis, and I don't have to give you ideas. But we all know that it's just very easy to not be productive. So why are you telling me I can handle it? So there's many, many... Proofs to this point. Just one from Rosham Shadran. We all know the story of Hanan and Mishal Vazaria. They were thrown into the Kivshan Shalesh. They were thrown into a fire and they emerged whole, healthy, and did not get burnt. There's a very interesting Gemara that teaches us that if they would have been beaten, hit, they would have succumbed. And they would have said, okay, we give in. We give in. One second. Let's pause for a second. They're willing to throw themselves into a pit of fire, but if there's a little bit of a slap, someone hits them, then they're going to give in? What's going on here? So Shalom Shadran uses this as one of his big proofs, and there's many, many throughout all of Chazal. Nisiyonis, tests, tribulations, trials, difficulties, are always tailor-made that we could handle them. They were able to handle the fire for whatever which reason. And they would not have been able to handle being beat. So they did not get beaten. They got the fire. Because if they would have gotten the wrong test, they would have not been able to withstand. Any test that we are given, any situation that we are thrown in, we 100% can emerge unscathed, victorious, healthy, and better people. That is what God wants. That is why this world was created. We are here to do that. We are here to become better people. We are not here to be destroyed. What? We all think, yeah, God's this sadistic monster that threw us here, locked up in a room, and said, go do a virus? What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. 
We're here to be better people. We all know that this world was created because Hashem doesn't want us to get Nama de Kisufa, not, doesn't want us to get reward for no reason. Okay, without getting into difficult concepts. But we all understand at some level that there's a reason we're here. And so if this is the situation we are thrown in, we can handle it. So is there a reason why in Australia you guys are in intense lockdown? Here in Eretz Yisrael, right now, the world is somewhat open. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? There's a second wave, a third wave, depends which news site, depends with this. Okay, in America, Pesach was that, now they're wide open and every, cause Hashem knows what each person can handle. But you can ask, what do you mean? I could just get on a plane and go there. Okay, well first of all, we all know that's not true right now. And Hashem sort of locked us in our own places at some level. But number two is, okay, correct. But Hashem knows what we can handle and we could emerge victorious. And in, with, on that point of emerging victorious, that every test is tailor-made, just to clarify one bit, a good friend of mine is a very big speaker. I don't know if you ever heard him. I'm sure you have. His name is Rav Gav, Rav Gavriel Friedman. He, he's amazing. So he, one time when I was speaking to him about this point, he pointed out to me, you should realize, when I say it's tailor-made, that the Nisayan is tailor-made for you. And we're like little puppets. Hashem's up there. You know, he's like the master puppeteer and he's like controlling us. Let's clarify it a little bit more. We, the Jews, we, the people trying to be better, we, the people trying to get chizik and be more productive, are in truth on center stage. The rest of the world around us are those puppets. God is controlling the whole world. For example, locking the door and saying, stay inside. But we're on center stage right now. We're up there on stage, the spotlight is on us, and now we can decide. What do we want to do? Do we want to crumble? Do we want to run off stage crying that we can't handle the spotlight? Or do we want to sit there and be better people and put on the grandest performance of our life? That is what we are. So yes, Hashem is controlling the whole world, but we're right there on stage and we can decide how we want to perform. And there was a man with two children. One child, studious, productive in school. The other child, not so much. The other child, quite mischievous, always got into trouble. One day, both children come home from school. One child, beaming, says, Daddy, Tati, Abba, Pops, whatever you want to call him, I got a candy. Why do you get a candy? Because I was listening so well in school, and I asked a good question. The teacher gave me a candy. Father says, wow, that's amazing. I'm so proud of you. Here's another candy. You did such a great job. The other child walks through the front door. Looks like he just went through the war. His clothes are dirty. He has a scratch on his face. And the father says, what happened? And the father says, and the child says, on the way home, I was running. I wasn't looking where I was going. I smashed into my friend and fell on the floor. The father starts screaming at him. I told you to be careful. If you don't watch where you're going, one day you're really going to get hurt. You really have to be careful. You're so clumsy. I always tell you. So there's a guy looking from the side and says, what's going on over here? I don't understand. This one got a candy. So he gets another candy. This one's all battered and you scream at him. The opposite. The one with the candy, leave him alone. And the one that's all battered, he's the one that needs the candy. So the father explains, of course not. Of course not. And Rav Baruch Mikasav says, this is how Chinuch, from a father to a son is, and Hashem, our father, is to us. The child that's mischievous, the child that doesn't listen, the child that's not careful, he has to be screamed at. Because he has to be put in his place. He has to be told, to be better. Because I don't want you to get hurt. I want the best for you. That father doesn't want, God forbid, for that kid to end up one day hit by a truck. 
That father wants that kid one day to be productive. So the way to make him productive is sometimes to scream at him. Sometimes to yell at him. So that he realizes that his actions do something and he'll be better. The other kid, he's doing good. So I could keep on encouraging him. Hashem does the same thing to us. We sometimes wonder, why are we getting hit? What I do wrong? I'm a good person. Why am I here? So the answer is, at some level, and of course, we'll give another disclaimer. We know it's difficult. We know people lost money. We know people lost jobs. We know people lost lives. We know people lost health. Of course. But at some level, Hashem is talking to us. We're the ones that are locked up. We got hit, and Hashem is hitting us again, we'll say it. Okay, that means that we have to be better. That means at some level, we have to get up and be better people. And that's really what we're discussing here tonight. Is that we could do better. We could come out of this bigger and better people. And I know that the end of the email said, if we could try to make this a little bit practical, don't worry, we're going to get there. Just one more story first. There was a man. His name was Heshi. Heshi also went through the Holocaust. Not sure why every story has to go through the Holocaust, but I don't make up the stories. He went through the Holocaust, and he came out, and he moved to America, and he went for work. And he tried everything. He could not find a job. Wherever he went, nothing, 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 nothing. Finally, one day, someone told him there's a local shul, and the shul needs someone to tend to the shul, a shamish, you know, a gabai, someone just to be there and help to sweep up, to get people their seats, to give people a sitter, you know, someone to be involved. He said, okay, what should I do? I need money. So he goes to the shul, and he interviews for the job for the shamish. And the interview's going great, and it sounds wonderful, and he's getting excited. He's finally going to have a job. And at the end of the interview, the, the whoever was interviewing him, the rob, the president, whatever it was, says, do you speak English? English? No, I don't speak English. He says, okay, you can't have the job. Why can't I have the job? Everything was perfect. He said, there are times that people come into the shul, religious people and other people, and they only speak English. And one of the jobs of the shamish is to go over them and make them feel welcome, show them their seats, give them a sitter. If you don't speak English, I'm sorry, it's not for you. And he started pleading and saying, please, I've been trying so hard. I need a job. Help me. I'm sorry, this is not for you. And he went out a broken person. A few days later, he realized he has no choice. He went to a friend, he borrowed a few dollars, he got like a push cart, he bought a few items, and he went around selling a few items like a beggar. Like a beggar, what's he going to do? He needed to get some money just to feed himself. And he went, and he was good, and he sold a few items, and he bought a few more, and he sold a few more, and he was going and going and going. Eventually, the push cart made him enough money that he bought a larger stand. And now he had a stand in the street. And then he made a little more money, a little more productive, and he bought a storefront. And now he actually was making somewhat of a normal living. And he was making a few dollars. And slowly over time, the store grew, and he was able to buy a second store. And over time, he was able to buy a third store. Soon enough, he was able to buy a factory. And within a few years, he was a very, very wealthy man. And then he heard about another company that did something similar to his and he wanted to merge. It was a wonderful business opportunity. And he set up a meeting with the other company. It was in a tremendous building in Manhattan. And he goes to the appointment and he travels up to the top floor with his lawyer. And he's sitting down and they're discussing all the details of the business deal. And he's very excited and he's going to make a lot of money. And at the end of the business deal, they hand him the contract. And he turns to his lawyer and he asks his lawyer to look it over. And they said, sir, we'd like if you read it over. We really would like, we're doing a tremendous deal with you. We'd like you to look over the contract as well. He looks down and he turns to them. He says, 
I can't speak English. I can't read what this says. And everyone in the room is silent. You can't speak English? You think we're going to do a deal, a million dollar deal with someone who can't even read English? And he turns to everyone in the room and he says, if I was able to speak and read English, I would right now be the shamish of a shul. Only because I can't read English? That's why I'm a wealthy businessman. That's why I was able to start off. And he tells them the whole story. How the shul didn't want him. So he started with the push cart. And then he got another push cart. Then he got a stand. And then he got a store. Then he got a second store. Then he got a factory. And now he's where he is today. Sometimes it's the biggest deficit, which is where we come to salvation. It's that moment that we can't speak English. It's that moment that we're locked in. That we realize that we're getting that secret code. So now that we all are here, and we all want to know, okay, so how should we do it? I'm hoping by this point you're sold. How should we do it? Great. What should I do? So when I started off here 31 minutes ago, I asked if you could hear me. And I told you because it's the middle of the day and it's busy. That's true. The real reason why it's noisy, and Baruch Hashem, right now it's not, is the apartment on top of me is doing construction. And they started this morning. And the beginning of construction is they rip up the entire floor. How do you rip up a floor? You take a huge drill and you pound through the floor. And this whole morning, I was wondering, when is the ceiling going to fall? We're in Eretz Yisrael. There's going to come that time that they're going to crack through the ceiling and it's going to happen. And it's deafening. It's deafening. And it's difficult to live through. And early this morning, my daughter asks me, what's all that noise? So I said to her, the apartment on top of us is doing construction. And of course, sometimes when children ask questions, you know, you can't just give the, ah, oh, it's so annoying and it's so noisy. So it makes you think about giving a good answer. Sometimes we should treat ourselves like that children. And we should say, wait, let me take something out of this. So I said to her, the apartment on top of us, they're doing constructions. She puts him, as they call it here in Eretz Yisrael. And it's so nice. They're able to have a new apartment. We're so happy for them. And she says, wow, so they're breaking through the floor to put down a new floor. I said, yeah, something like that. She said, oh, okay, great. And then she went off to camp, and I'm sitting here, and it's pounding away. And I'm sitting here, putting together my few thoughts for our talk tonight. First, I wondered, how am I going to talk to you if it's deafening noise? And then I couldn't think. I couldn't think. So what did I do when I couldn't think? I put on music. I put on music. I blasted the music. That is the answer we're going to walk out of here tonight. There's two ways to knock out the world. There's two ways that everything is crazy. We're locked up in our houses. We don't know what to do. We feel like it's a curse. It's a claw. What does God want from us? There's so much noise. It feels like the ceiling's going to fall through. So the first way is you can take earbuds and you can put them in your ear and try to block out the noise. That works. That's called Sur Meira. Look away from the bad. Block out the world. Block out the virus. But sometimes it's so noisy, it doesn't help. There's only that long you're locked up in your house. There's only that long you could try to not look. There's only that long that you could say, I'm, an, I'm not going to do an Avera. So what should I do now? How do I get rid of all that noise? So the answer is, I say toiv. Do something good. Turn on the music. Blast it really, really loud. Of course, you could turn on some dreadful music, which will just contribute to the banging and give you a bigger headache. Or you could turn on nice music, and then it drowns out the drilling, 
and the drilling just becomes almost like background noise. Something that I didn't even bother me, because all I heard was the beautiful music. When we're in a world that seems to have gone crazy, the answer is Asei Toiv. Keep ourselves busy by doing good things. That's all. How? I don't have to tell you how. There's a myriad and unlimited amount of opportunities out there. And we all know, and by now we've all read all the different stories, all the different chesed organizations, all the different wonderful deeds that people did over Sukkot, Sukkot, over Pesach and over everything. By By now we know that. But at each in our own level, we could do something. Find something to do. Find a project. And you're going to say, wait, what? I should start a chesed organization? I'm 13 years old. True. If you're 13, don't start a chesed organization. That would be strange. But you know, you could do something. You could say, I'm going to decide right now. I'm going to keep myself busy with, I don't know, learning. And I usually talk to guys. Learning about tefillah. I'm going to take the time and I'm going to practice learning how to speak Hebrew, something maybe that someone wants to do. Do something productive. Do a chesed. I'm going to take the time to call up all the elderly relatives and talk to them because that's what they like. I, I don't like it, but that's what they like. And I'm going to keep myself busy with chesed. Not just chesed. Fi chesed. It could be maisen toivim. It could be tefillah. It could be taira. I know your girls. You're still allowed to learn. One day you'll get married and you'll want to have a kosher house and you want to know, but I took the fleshik a spoon and I mixed up the the, hot, the hamburgers, the meat, or I took the whatever it is, and I mixed it up, what do I do? So I don't know. Maybe now you're locked up. Take a good book. There's so much out there. Take a good saver in English and learn through it. And then you can look back. You can look back at Pesach, at summer, Tavshin Pei 2020, at this virus that we've called Corona, at this world that we called crazy. And you could say, that wasn't crazy. That was normal. I made it normal and I came out of it greater. I'm going to blast the music. I'm going to destroy. I'm going to make myself not hear all that noise because I'm going to be so busy. And in truth, over Pesach time, I was talking, usually talk to guys. So we we're talking with some, some of the Bachram and we were remarking how the timing was great. The heat of the virus, at least for most of us, I don't know what's going on by you, was over Pesach. And we were so busy. We were busy. Even so many of us made Pesach for the first time. So we had to learn the halachis. Others were just busy preparing for the Seder and cleaning and cooking. And of course, it was very, very difficult. But we as Jews had something to do. And a, and a, and a Bachar remarked, what did the Goyim do? What do they do? They have nothing to keep themselves busy. There's only that many, mo- that much movies and TV and stupidity we could do in our day. Eventually we get bored. So we are blessed that we can now realize that we were handed the secret combination to a Swiss bank account. We could take that Swiss bank account. We could take the realization that we were put into a productive world. We were put into a time that sometimes people have to wait till they're 30, 40, 50 years old to have the thoughts that we had here tonight. To realize, why are we here? Why did Hashem do this? What's the purpose of it all? And with that, we could realize that we have a treasure buried underneath our house. Right there, we're not a beggar. We are handed that Swiss bank account. Right under our house is that treasure. It's right here. We now can live with ourselves. We now are people that can walk around Without destruction. We don't have to be always occupied. We don't have to be those people which are 24 hours a day on our phone or on our internet or on our emails or on our movies or on our TVs. We could be people that are complacent with sitting and thinking about life and realizing why we're here and what we're doing. And of course, we have to realize to pick up the right bag of garbage. Not the one that's garbage, but rather the one with diamonds. We are handled, we are handed this. It's not garbage. God put us here. 
we could handle it. Chanan and Mishael Barazariah, they were thrown into the fire, they weren't slapped, because they couldn't handle the slap. If we were put here, that means we could handle it, and we could come out better people. Tailor made, like that tailor made suit. Don't be the fool that right before his wedding puts on weight that doesn't fit into the wedding gown. The opposite, it's all tailor made. The nisyanis, the trials, the tribulations, this entire situation was tailor made for us. So realize that we can come out of it stronger and better people. And finally, let's realize that we are those two children. It might feel like we're getting hit. It's only because our father wants the best from us. He wants us to get up and he wants us to be bigger and better people. He wants us to be different people than maybe our parents were. Because we were ones as children who went through this situation. And we're going to be people that are going to come up on top. And at most, remember to black out the noise. There's banging on top of our head. We can't deal with it. We can't handle it. We're confined. We're locked into our houses. We're going crazy. We're losing our minds. What should I do? Do something. When Surma Irat doesn't work, I say, turn on that music, blast it loud, find something, throw yourself into something productive, whether it's learning, whether it's Tfilo, whether it's Chesed, whether it's helping out, whether it's phone calls, at some level, do something that will be productive. And we'll conclude with the final muscle that there was a king that had a general that waged many, many battles. And when he came back and he won, the king said to him, you could choose whatever you want. And he went into the king's storehouse and he went around and he saw the diamonds and rubies and money and gold and silver. And then he saw the king's crown. And he went to the king and he said, can I take your crown? I just want to wear your crown for one day. And the king said, my general, I told you you could have everything, but you can't have the crown. And the general was broken, but I saved your entire country. And all of a sudden, in bounces a little five-year-old boy. A little five-year-old boy, so happy, bouncing around. And he goes, jumps onto the king's lap, takes the crown, and puts it on his head. And the general's wondering, what is that? And the king says, that's my son. He's allowed to wear the crown whenever he wants. We're Hashem's children. We're allowed to wear the crown whenever we want. Hopefully, through this situation we will realize how important we are, how special we are, how we have a neshama that's a piece from God Himself. And we will come out more productive. And Amir Tashem, this will be a time that we'll look back to and we'll be able to say that we are people that are fitting to wear the crown of the king. Not people that got destroyed by this cursed time called Corona, but rather that people that realize that cursings, that difficulties, that's called normal. That's God talking to us and making us better people. And come out on top, and Amir Tashem be fitting to wear that crown of the king. Thank you for having me, everyone.